Good morning, Southwest Christian High. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Hey, I want to start off first by thanking uh, the staff here, the teachers and Brian for having me come. And so I want to take time to honor them. I know right now it's difficult uh, to teach in maybe a different setting than what we're used to, maybe even for students to attend school and what you're used to, but to the teachers who show up every week, every day, and to the staff of this school, thank you so much for showing up and loving these students. And so I wanted to start off first by honoring you guys. Uh, today, I'm excited to be with you guys, okay? Today's going to be fun. It's going to be dope. It'll be a good time, a good service. And I really believe there's going to be some kid this morning who showed up and that your life is going to be challenged, impacted uh, in a way that only God can do. And so I'm really excited about that. But first, uh, before I get into it, I just got to ask a question. Is there anybody in the room where uh, you have a fear or you're afraid of something? Maybe it's like spiders or heights. Uh, maybe it's public speaking. Okay, the guy in the back. I love it. Awesome. Uh, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, someone breaking into your house. But here's the deal. Here's what I need. On the count of three, I just want everybody in the room out loud to share your biggest fear. Okay? On the count of three, everybody's got to participate. Ready? One, two, three. Just share your biggest fear. Sharks, snakes, squirrels. Did somebody just say a squirrel? You're afraid of squirrels attacking you? I don't know. Maybe that's a real thing. Uh, for me... Uh, growing up, one of the biggest fears in my life had to have been someone breaking into my house. Anybody afraid of, uh, like, that's a fear of yours, someone breaking in? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, a few hands. And I, I think the reason why I was so afraid of someone breaking into my house was because growing up across the street, I remember being a young boy, and I remember looking outside my bedroom window at night, and I would see guys go up in the trees and all I would see were their two legs dangling at night and they would sit up in the trees staring at our house and I would go get my dad and be like dad the guy is up in the tree again like there's a guy staring at our house again and so I remember being a young boy watching this play out and then my dad would call the police and the police would come and they'd have their giant spotlights that they'd shine up in the trees and true story, I would literally see guys jump down out of the trees and start running from the police. And so I think the reason why one of my biggest fears of someone breaking into my house is because of what I grew up watching, what I grew up witnessing. Like, true story, uh, I slept with golf clubs in my room, okay? Uh, not because I love golf or I'm really good at golf. I slept with golf clubs in my room because if some dude was going to break into my house, he was going to get a putter to the head, okay? Like, I just, I was going to defend myself, all right? I was freaked out. I kind of grew up with this fear. And so, uh, I'm the oldest in my family. I have three younger sisters. Any, any dudes in the room, you got all sisters? You're the only boy in your family. This guy out here, keep your hands raised. Keep your, some dudes like, don't highlight me. Keep it. It's, it's okay to have all sisters. Here's the deal with these guys who have their hands raised right now, okay? They either have anger issues or they're really patient, okay? One of the two, all right? Uh, growing, up, growing up being the only boy in the house, um, I could never wrestle my sisters. I could never um, like reenact Lion King and me being like Mufasa and them being Scar because they'd always cry and whine. And so instead, growing up, my sisters, I was like the easy bake oven guy, okay? Like, I was the guy who had to put on an apron and cook my sister's treats, all right? Like, that was the life. 
True story. This guy's raising his hand like, yep, I can relate. True story. I, uh, they literally dressed me up in like a full-blown like wedding dress and like put makeup on me. And they'd be like, okay, Micah, um, go walk down the aisle and we'll take pictures of you. Like this was my life growing up, okay? Being surrounded by sisters, it, it was tough sometimes. But I remember my dad looked at me one night and he said, son, I'm going to take your sisters to the grocery store. Do you, do you want to go to the grocery store with us as a family? And I'm like, Dad, look, I've been surrounded by girls my whole life. Can you just take my sisters to the grocery store? I'm just going to have some man time by myself. I'm just going to chill at home. Can you please just take them away? My dad looked at me like, son, I get it. You stay home. I'll take your sisters to the grocery store. So my dad takes my sisters to the grocery store. He leaves. And so I've got this whole house to myself. I'm sitting on this big leather couch. I made some popcorn, I got a Coke, and I do what any dude would do when he's alone by himself. I flipped on some Sports Center to watch the top 10, okay? Like I wanted to get caught up on the sports. And so I'm just chilling, and where the TV is, there's this set of windows behind the TV, okay? It's about 9 o'clock at night. It's kind of like a fall, like October-ish type night. 9 o'clock at night, I'm chilling on this big couch, I'm enjoying myself. I don't have to be around my sisters. I get to do what I want to do. True story, scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. I see some dude press his face up against the windows behind the TV, and he's staring at me watching TV. And when I saw that, I immediately freaked out. I'm about 21 years old at this time. I freak out. I jump up out of the couch. I run up the stairs, open up the door, and I'm like, hello? Hello? I saw you. I'm a 21-year-old dude. I work out. I have a beard. If you come into my house, I will jack you up. And then I immediately shut the door and, like, locked every lock possible. It was just like. Because <laughs> on the outside, I looked tough. But on the inside, I was like, I'm going to die tonight. I'm going to die and so how many of you know when you're freaked out and you're home alone and you're all by yourself, how many of you know the worst is when the lights are turned off in the house? And when you're home alone and you're freaked out of your mind, how many of you know you have to literally turn on every light in the house? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and how many of you know just turning on lights in the house is scary? It's like a freaky adventure, okay? Because here's the deal. If you go upstairs and you turn on the light real slow and open up the door, guess what happens? Your hand gets chopped off. You know what I'm saying? Like it happens in the movies all the time. So turning on the lights, it has to be one quick swift mo motion. It's just like this. <laughs> Clear. We're good. You know what I'm saying? And then you go to the next room and turn on the light. And so I'm freaked out of my mind. I know I saw someone stare at me through the windows. And I'm just chilling in my chair. And now I'm downstairs. All the lights are on. The sound is muted because I want to hear if there's anything I forgot, but I realized that I forgot something. You see, the screen door was shut in my dad's office in the back of the house, but the glass door was left open. I had literally forgot to shut the glass door and lock it. And so now when I'm sitting on the couch, my dad's office is back around to the left, and I literally hear the screen door slowly begin to open up in my dad's office. And right now, I see so many girls being like, oh, my word, oh, my word. They're just covering their face like, oh, true story. I hear the screen door slowly begin to open up. I can't see my dad's office. I can't see the screen door. All I hear is the sound of a screechy door, and it just sounds like this. 
And then I heard the door shut. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, stop that noise. I can't take it anymore. And I hear the door shut. And I hear somebody walking around in my dad's office. And my face is glued to the left. Because I want to know who's about to turn the corner. And my face is just glued. I'm freaked out of my mind. True story. Not making this up. The scariest clown mask I've ever seen in my life. All I see is the guy stick his head around the corner like this. And for three seconds, he stares at me like this, and then he pulls his head around the back around the corner like this. And when I saw that, I was like, ah! You know how you scream so loud, but it's just air? And it's just like, ah! And I'm thinking to myself, why do you got to do the head thing? Like, why do you got to stare at me like that? Like, if you're going to take my life, just come around the corner and get it over with already. Like, why do you got to do this? And he comes around the corner. And he's like, give me your wallet. Give me your wallet. And I'm like, all right, but it's, it's wet. Here, here you go. You asked for it. And the guy takes off his mask. And it was my dad. It was my dad. And my dad looked at me and he goes, son, the look on your face, you were so terrified. That is your father, I could no longer keep doing this to you. And I'm like, gee, thanks, Dad. You're a good one. You're a good dad. Thanks for so much for your compassion and your care. You're a real good dad. I guess my dad had got an idea to scare the living daylights out of me. So when he was on the way to the grocery store, it was around Halloween time, and he asked my sisters, hey, sister, hey, girls, I have an idea. Yeah, Dad, what is it? You want to see your brother get the living daylights freaked out of him? Yeah, Dad, yeah! Dad, yeah! My dad bought a Halloween mask, scary, next to the grocery store, parked the car a couple blocks down the road, decided to freak the living daylights out of me, but here's the deal. In one moment, in one moment, I thought I literally was going to die. Like, to this very day, I even noticed the detail of the mask. Like, I was so scared. So afraid that in one moment, I thought my life was over. I thought I was going to die. But what was crazy is when my dad took off the mask, the very next moment, it was like I went from a moment of death and then all of a sudden a moment of life. This feeling of like I was going to die. But in the next moment, it was like life was back again. The title of this morning's message it's called death to life. In fact, it reminds me of a story of these three siblings, this brother and his two sisters. And they were your typical siblings, like they grew up together, they were kind of close in age, they kind of had their fights and they would annoy one another, they get on each other's nerves, they kind of mess with one another, pick on each other, but everything kind of changed when these three siblings were in high school, middle school, and what changed for their life was that this person named Jesus wasn't just some figure in a Bible, but this person named Jesus became real to them. It wasn't something that their family just kind of did, or it wasn't something their family just kind of followed, but something changed. And the change was is that these siblings 
decided to own their faith. Like it wasn't mom and dad's anymore. It wasn't grandma's anymore. But it became real to them. It became personal to them. It all changed. It changed their dynamic. It changed the way they treated one another. It changed the way they would interact with one another. But then things got a little weird when the brother got sick. And everything was like fine at first. And he was like, no, I'm not going to go to the doctor. Like, I'm okay. I'll be fine. And his sisters hey, said, hey, you're getting worse. You should for real go to the doctor. He goes, no, I'm not about doctors. Mom and dad can't force me to go to the doctor. I'm my own person. I'm my own life. I'll be fine in a week. A week goes by, it gets worse. Another week goes by, it gets worse. Finally, he goes to the doctor. And when he goes to the doctor, they do some scans and they do some tests on his blood work. And the doctor comes in with the results and he goes, hey, son, I got a question for you. He's in high school. He goes, yeah, what's the big deal? He said, son, do you have family in your life? He goes, yeah, but why does it matter if I have family? I just showed up to get tests and find out what's going on with me. He goes, son, you're going to need your family in your life. He goes, okay, well, what's the big deal? He said, son, I'm sorry to tell you this, but here are the results of what we just did on your blood work. And what we found and what came back is you literally have a terminal disease and you maybe, maybe only have about four months to left live because of how late we found this disease. And this kid is like, whatever, man, forget that. Like, whatever. Like, the first thought was denial. Like, this isn't me. I'm perfectly healthy. I'm young. I'm fine. Everything's good with me. Nothing's wrong with my body. Whatever. And the doctor says, son, here are the results. You need to get home. You need to let your family know. Because you're going to need them in your life. Son, trying not to cry. Trying to be tough in front of a doctor. Still doesn't want to believe that he has about four months left to live. I don't know about you. But if the doctor all of a sudden gave you results. And now you're in high school. And he tells you you have four months left to live. How in the world would it change you? How in the world would it change your faith? How in the world would it impact who you talk to, who you love, who you, how you treat people? How in the world would you live your life? Would it live differently? Would it look differently? Would the worries you currently possess, would they all of a sudden kind of grow dim because you know that life is now short and it's not long anymore? How would you treat your mom? How would you treat your dad? How would you treat the people next to you? This kid found out he had four months to live. He goes home, tells his family. His sisters who had recently just started following and loving Jesus, they start to freak out and cry. Start to break down and the family starts to freak out. Everything's fine. Live in a great home. Have had a great family. But now this. And you want to know what the sisters decided to say? The sisters started to say this. Hey. You know what? I'm actually not going to be afraid that you might die because here's why. I know with my own eyes that I've seen Jesus heal people before. You and I, we've actually watched Jesus heal people before. So you know what? I'm not going to freak out that you might die. Instead, I'm going to pray every day. And I'm going to believe and I'm going to ask God that he might do a miracle in your life. We've seen him do a miracle before. Surely he can do a miracle again. He's done it before. Why wouldn't he do it again? We've watched it with our own eyes. 
And so these sisters every day began to operate in faith. Isn't it different how your prayer life changes when you get news that something shocks your family? Isn't it interesting how your faith changes the moment you realize life actually isn't long, but life in the grand scheme of eternity is actually really short? Isn't it interesting that what you value now seems to almost change when everything else around you seems to be like sinking sand? And these sisters every day began to pray, and they expected with great faith that they'd watch God show up and do a miracle. But rather than seeing a miracle, the condition only grew worse. The brother only grew worse. The condition was only getting worse. And the doctor looked at the young man and said, son, I want you to call every family member you know because you probably have a week left to live. And now is the time to start getting your whole entire family around you. They started calling and started getting family members to show up and come in from long distances. And the family members were around the bed. The sisters wouldn't give up in their faith. He didn't stop believing for their brother. They kept praying and believing that Jesus would show up and do something. And then as the whole family is gathered around the bedside, they're watching their brother struggle for air. I don't know if you've ever witnessed death before. I don't know if you've ever seen someone take their last breath like I have. But it's hard to watch someone you love so close to you struggling to breathe. It's hard to watch someone that you've done life with and you've loved and they've loved you. It's hard to watch someone go and pass away. This brother ends up taking his final breath on this earth in front of his family. The sisters have believed that God would do a miracle, that God would show up. And now they watch a dead brother lay in his bed. And after some grieving and after some mourning, these are what some of the sisters began to think in their mind and in their heads. Jesus, if you just would have shown up, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you just would have shown up like we've asked, if you just would have shown up like we've seen you show up before time and time again, our brother wouldn't have died. And the reality is this. And so many of us can live in this tension of watching reality as we see it and we hold that over here and we compare it to who we know in the character of God. And right there in that place, in that tension, if you just would have shown up, lies a tension that you and I can easily identify with. I don't know if you've ever asked God why. I don't know if you've ever asked God if you're real than this. I don't know if you've ever asked God a question of something that maybe you didn't understand. That maybe you didn't know what was going on. But the story that I just told you today happens to be a true story. You can Google it on the internet yourself and find it. Or else you could open a Bible to a place called John chapter 11. Where a brother named Lazarus and a sister named Mary and Martha watch their brother pass away in their life. What I attempted to do was take 40 verses of scripture and put it in a modern day story so you might understand the tension of how it feels to follow Jesus sometimes. So that you might know the weight of what it's like to not watch God show up in your life and watch an outcome you didn't expect. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were all good friends with Jesus. They were buddies with them. They did life with them. 
If there was anybody who watched the preaching and teaching of Jesus, it was these three. If there was anyone that watched Jesus heal people regularly, it was them. And what they knew about Jesus and his character and who he was, wasn't on display for someone they loved so much. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I can recall in my own life the own tensions I've faced. You see, I grew up in a Christian home, maybe like some of you. My dad was a public speaker. He owned his own pest control business. He was a local firefighter. My dad was my soccer coach, my football coach, my basketball coach. My dad was heavily invested in my life. He was the person I wanted to be like. Our family was great. You would look at our family. We had everything we needed, everything maybe even we wanted. My dad would take me and my sisters out on dates once a month just to tell them how much he loves us. Like, we had it good, y'all. And if, I, if you were to ask me, Micah, who would you want to be like someday? I would tell you I want to be like my dad. Because the way my dad lived his life was how I wanted to live it. I remember multiple days opening up his bedroom door. My dad would have his Bible open. He'd be reading from scripture and I'd be so moved seeing my dad connect with God. But before I could get and turn your age and before I could join the youth group, I remember the church fell apart and my dad stopped going to church and I watched the slow fade begin to happen and play out in my home. I watched my dad, rather than opening the door of his room and seeing the Bible out, now I'd open the door to his bedroom and there'd be hard drugs out on the table and my dad would quick try to hide them. Hey son, why don't you go in the other room and watch the game? I'll be there in a little bit. But I wasn't stupid and I wasn't dumb. I saw the slow fade begin to take place in my life. My dad would come home, and I remember hearing my mom. My bedroom was just across the hallway from my mom, and I remember hearing my mom cry herself to sleep multiple times a night. I remember I'd open up my mom's bedroom door, and I'd say, Mom, why are you crying? Mom, what's the pain for? Mom, what's the big deal? Only to look over to the left to realize that my dad was gone, coming home late at night from the bars. I'll never forget the day my dad sat me and my sisters down in a living room floor. And my dad looked at me and my sisters. He said, kids, just so you know, I'm going to divorce your mom after 17 years of marriage. I'm never going to step foot inside a church again. This is the man who I am now. This is who I'm going to be. And my dad walked out and ended 17 years of marriage with my mom. I was a young person just like you sitting at a school like this beginning to ask the question, Jesus, if you just would have shown up, my dad wouldn't have left. If you just would have shown up, I wouldn't have to be the man of the house or the oldest for my sisters. If you just would have shown up, how many of you know it's really confusing when the person who introduced you to Jesus now no longer gives a rip or wants anything to do with Jesus. As a young man, I saw things I never should have seen. I saw multiple affairs take place that I never should have witnessed. It's really confusing when you're trying to figure out if you really want to believe in Jesus or not for you. But then this happens. Now it's really confusing. Why would I follow a God of someone who introduced me to him but now wants nothing to do with him? Why would I follow the character of God when my reality looks nothing like God? Some of you know what it's like to walk in brokenness. And maybe on the outside you look right, but on the inside you can relate with the brokenness. Maybe some of you know what it's like to have a dad that's always gone and not home. 
longing for him just to notice you and speak into your life. Maybe you long to have someone who will love you and affirm you in your home. Or maybe you know what it's like to watch the weight of immorality enter into your life and enter into your home. A year after my dad left my mom, my mom was tucking my younger sister in bed one night. She had a big bump in her leg, and my mom saw it, and she goes, Victoria, what's this? She's eight years old, y'all. My sister said, Mom, it's just a bruise. Don't worry about it. My mom knew it wasn't just a bruise. She brought her to the doctor. They did scans. They found out it was a six-inch by eight-inch tumor wrapped around her femur bone in her leg. The doctors did a biopsy of the tumor. They found out there was stage four cancer, and the doctors gave my eight-year-old sister a 20% chance to live. I just watched my dad walk out on my family, and now I just watched as an eight-year-old girl, my little sister said that she only has a 20% chance to live. Jesus, if you just would have showed up, my younger sister wouldn't have to face death. If you just would have shown up, I wouldn't have to watch your dad leave and try to be the man of the house. Oh, yeah, now it's really confusing, isn't it? All hell breaking loose against a home. Some years later, I watched as my dad passed away in a motorcycle accident. I never actually got to say goodbye, how a normal death should be, of maybe even someone old age, but at least you get to share your heart with them. I'll never forget the pain of losing a father for real now. Do you guys really think life is all about you? Do you really think this whole thing is just all about what you want and what you desire? You know what you really realize when you go through it? Is you realize how weak we all really are. And you realize the need for someone named Jesus to come and be the source of everything in your life. You see, Jesus shows up on the scene, and immediately he's accused by not showing up when he wanted it to. In fact, he shows up four days late, and he's accused. Martha says, if you would have been here, her brother wouldn't have died. Mary says the same thing in verse 33, 32. Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus never would have died. He would have been healed. Jesus in verse 4 says, This won't end in death. It's actually going to be for my Father's glory. Can I just say something? So much of our life has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the glory of God. But so many of us quit before we can actually watch God get a whole lot of glory from it. So many of us will give up or it never becomes real. And in turn, you never watch God get glory from it. If there's anybody in the room who's here today who has an opportunity to quit and say, forget this Jesus thing, it's the guy with the microphone on stage. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm it. And if someone looks at you and says they're the resurrection and the life, they're either a lunatic drug addict or they're actually telling you the truth. And they not only say it, but they're going to demonstrate it in a little bit. He said, I am the resurrection of life. Your brother will rise again. Martha thought it would be in the last days. 
But what she didn't realize is the final public miracle of Jesus' ministry was about to be on display of a person who was dead and now about to experience life. And the miracle that Jesus did and took place, it was to parallel a miracle that would take place after Jesus would go on a cross and die and three days later be resurrected himself. You can't find the body of Jesus anywhere. Historians know the fact that Jesus is real, but you can't find him in a tombstone anywhere. Why? Because he's a resurrected Savior and a living God. He's fully alive. And that Savior is the Savior who can look at dead people and tell them, come out of the grave. And breath starts to enter the lungs of Lazarus. His heart starts to beat. His brain starts working. And he comes out with his grave clothes on. The last miracle Jesus does is right before Passover, which means this. All the people would have been coming from outside the city into the city for Passover. Thousands of people would have passed by tombstones and would have watched a miracle that Jesus did. If you continue on in the Gospel of John, you see that so many people end up believing because they're watching a dead man eating food and sitting right next to Jesus. Only Jesus has a way of taking your death and turning it to life. I watched a dad die. I watched a home get split up. I watched a sister be diagnosed with stage four cancer. I'll never forget a day a speaker came to my church. He looked at my sister who was now 10 at the time. She went through over 15 surgeries in her lungs because the tumor spread to her lungs. She went through all the chemotherapy and radiation her body could handle. Couldn't take on anymore. Lost all her hair. She has scars all over her chest and her back to try to get the tumors out. Make-A-Wish Foundation showed up to give her a wish. Make-A-Wish Foundation shows up when they know a family's about to maybe lose someone. My one sister's final wish was to go to Florida to swim with the dolphins. So there we were as a broken family going to Florida, trying to enjoy one last wish with the sister. I'll never forget when a speaker came to our church, looked at my little sister who was 10 years old. He said, young girl, one day you're going to give a story of how God healed you from your cancer, and you're going to come to my church in Tennessee and share the story. We've been praying for my sister for years, nothing. We went to the doctor to go get more scans to see where the tumors had spread in her lungs. When the doctor held up the scans to see where the tumors were, the scans revealed there were no more tumors in her body whatsoever, and my sister was declared cancer-free. She's been cancer-free now for over 15 years. The doctors at the hospital call her the miracle child. That right there cannot be explained scientifically or medically. It can only be explained by a divine God who still does divine acts in the earth today. And my sister is the main worship leader of the church every Sunday morning that someone spoke over her life that she'd be healed. Every Sunday she's leading worship and declaring the praises of God. Let me just say this. You can never write a story better than that. Only God can write a story like that. The same house that I grew up in, the same house where my dad divorced my mom in our living room, the same house where my dad would stumble in drunk late at night from the bars, the same house where my dad was arrested and brought to jail because of an altercation with my mom, the same house 
where all this destruction happened in my home is the same exact house that my wife and I bought three years ago. And my two little kids, who are now two and four, they don't know the story. But one day, they're going to hear the story of how God brought a family from death to life. One day, they're going to hear a story of how a God who's so amazing, who's so good, would look at a broken boy and look at a broken family and decide to tell this family to come to life and walk in his fullness. The death you've experienced, the sin you've chosen, the different things that you've gone through in your life, if you would just continue to believe in Jesus and not give up, maybe, just maybe, you might watch how God would get a whole lot of glory if you would just believe in him and not give up. If you would just follow after him and continue to choose him day after day and night after night. What once was a place of destruction now is a home of light. And I watch as I literally get to take rooms that were filled with hate, now turn them into faith. And it's places of prayer, it's places of worship, it's places of eating meals together and watching God's faithfulness to any kid who walked in the room broken, to any kid who walked in the room filled with impossible situations. Let me come to remind you of something. God is a God of the impossible. With man, things are always impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. There is no other way to the Father. Jesus said, I am it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What we are called to do for the remaining days with how short life is, is to live it in Christ every day. Is to choose Jesus every day. Is to die to ourselves and to pick up our cross and to follow him. Jesus, only he can write a story that brings him the most glory. All you and I have to do is stop trying to write the story ourselves and let him get the pen and finish the rest. It's choosing to live a life of obedience. It's choosing to let God be Lord of your life. Y'all, it was such an honor to be with you guys today. It was such an honor to speak into your life for just a little bit. The question will be, is what do you do from here? How does it impact your life? What needs to be shifted? What needs to be changed? What do you need to let go of so that you can have all of Christ and Christ can have all of you? If you want to stay up to date with our family, uh, we have a ministry that travels all over the country. We live right here in Egan, Minnesota. I just wrote my first ever book. I wish I had it here so y'all could have it. It comes out October 1st. That's the hope. But if you want to stay on the journey with our fam, you can follow at Pastor Micah Mack on Instagram, at Pastor Micah Mack. We also have a YouTube channel as well that you can find on there. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to dismiss you guys to your class. Jesus, I thank you that today was a day of hope and a day of giving you glory and giving you honor. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. I pray for every kid that feels like giving up, 
that they put their hope and their trust in you again. I pray for every kid where faith has never been their own. It's only been because of an application filled out to get in or a mom who chooses it for them. I pray it would be one of faith of their own, faith of choosing to trust and believe in you. For every teacher that feels weary, would you give them your grace and your strength each and every day? For every student who feels lost, would you come and feel only what you can feel? I thank you for your love and your unconditional grace and mercy towards us each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all are dismissed. Have a good day, y'all. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.